Today is Wednesday. It is um, June 17th, 2020. Let's begin our worship service with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time we have this evening. We thank you for those who have taken time out of their schedules to join in and to lend their positive volition toward you, Father. We pray that this conversation will glorify you and magnify your name and will further our knowledge and wisdom as we are on the earth at this hour. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So as you know, we are in the midst of a study of Romans, and we are in Romans 8 and 15. So we'll get there. We have a few moments for some Q&A, which we will take that time now. Uh, floor is open. Did you want to elaborate on, on 2 Corinthians 5, as you were? Oh, okay. I didn't know if we wanted to switch gears or, you know. But, and so we were having a... Well, it was, I guess it would be, I guess that would be up to Fred. Fred asked the question. Well, <clears throat> I think, you know, uh, Dwight, he, he answered it. Uh, you know, my, my question was, is the believer uh, in Christ? who's absent from the body and present with the Lord, uh, the believer. Uh, in other words, what is he subject to the same time restraints that he, we are here on the battlefield on earth? And I guess he pretty much answered that in the realm of, um, yes, you, so Doug, really you're saying, yes, we are still in the realm of time just not on the battlefield we're in the presence of the lord and in a place of, of uh total peace total happiness uh, yeah but still in the realm of time yeah everything we can read about uh that place and if we if i were to turn to second corinthians recalling our study where we did a few chapters there second corinthians chapter five uh, so it talks about being, um, we know that if this earthly tent is that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed. I hear some background noise if, uh, if your phone is not on mute, please do so. And then only if... If you're, if you have a question, obviously you have to unmute. But so this verse two starts this whole thing about, meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, right? So because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So there's a sort of a dichotomy here where you have the believer who feels at home in his body. Paul is giving them assurances. And really, as we discuss the context of this, it's not just any believer. Right? It is those believers who are on the front line. And those believers were very special in that uh, they were blazing the trail for us. And we made the point that no matter how you look at it, you don't have the same pressures, physically speaking, as did the uh, apostles. You know, those who were in, on, the, on the battlefield at that particular time, that first generation. And in fact, most of them were martyred. All the apostles were killed. Uh, they crucified the Lord. I mean, you know, this is... Uh, the church was not born out of peace, but out of you know, war, you could say, turmoil, trouble on this earth. 
So those Paul is assuring them. Look in five one. If it's if this earthly tent is destroyed, that means if if your body can no longer sustain life here on earth, then you can be sure that you have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So God is telling you that look, you were called from eternity past as a heavenly being. God called you to be in Christ before the creation of the world. Now, even though our whole experience is this body that we live in, this home, this earth, you know, this environment, but eventually we will have to leave this. Paul's point is that where we're gonna go will fit us. Just like we feel at home here, we're gonna have that same feeling once we go there. So our initial thought is we don't want to put off the body. We don't want to have to be absent from the body because we'll, we'll, we'll feel naked. But Paul's saying, don't worry about it because what's on the other side for you is going to be glorious. You're going to have, uh, you're going to, it's going to fit the inside of you. You're calling from eternity past remember is is in Christ so now is it'll be like coming home even though you we're leaving what we considered home it'll be like coming home once we come home in Christ because that is our destiny and we talk about a niche orientation like doing that thing here that we feel fits us that we're made for and all that well that is your net, your your eternal niche, is to be in Christ. Now, no matter what happens, you're never going to be an Israelite. You're never going to be a Gentile. Your niche is to be Christ, a son. And that's what we have to understand. Uh, our destiny will wrap heavenly things around us, and we will feel right at home once we get to heaven. Time won't be an issue. Uh, we won't be in the battle anymore, even though we can understand that the battle is still raging. And there's a lot more human history to go, you know, even after the rapture. Right? We still got the tribulation. And it says in the tribulation there's going to be a terrible time, such as never was since there was a nation. In other words, the time that happens, uh, the, the turmoil, the terror, the, you know, total annihilation of, uh, swaths of population of the earth will happen and it will all go on in horrible fashion right? so this is this is what's going to happen in the tribulation so we will understand what's happening but we're not in it and, and there's nobody in the church that's in it but believers are in it and even though we're one body of believers I, I'm sure we still will have some attention to uh, knowing what time it is in God's uh, dispensational framework. We're going to know what time it is, but not from the standpoint of, like we read in Titus, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Now here we're in, we're, we're suffering, we're in persecution, we're, you know, so of course looking for Christ to come will be a relief for us because we'll be absent from the body. Similar to what we were just joking about. Oh, we might, Christ might come by then. Or we might go home uh, through, through sleep, uh, death. So either way, we, you know, if, if it's a hundred years from now, probably all of us will go that way. We just don't have any idea. So we just have to live every day with the expectation that he could come. I'll pause. So Revelation 19 is when Christ comes back to set up his kingdom on the earth, right? I believe that's what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yes. Well, 
Well, some, those who have won, you know, winners, well, will they come back also? I know where it could be in heaven. Well, uh, we'll come back also with them. So, well, um, actually. Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. You go ahead. Fin- finish your, your question. No, I'm saying the winners, well, they come back and also join them in, in battle. Well, the winners come back and join them in battle. So, in other words, will there be an inheritance on the earth for those who um, have suffered with him? Uh, I would say the answer is yes. <clears throat> I mean, so what we realize is there's a uh, there's a lot of scriptures <laughs> that talk about this, and um, gosh, in Philippians. But we said that was a reward, though, right? Yes, yes, it is. It is a reward. Yeah, we, we're getting to the place where Romans 8, right? Where it says we're sons, we're heirs. That is who we are. But we're also uh, share in the glory of Christ if we suffer with him. This is in Romans 8 where we're, getting, we're coming to that scripture. So in other words, if you've earned battlefield victories, then you shall reap battlefield rewards there's no doubt about it um, so in Philippians 2 is where I was going where, where because of Christ's um, accomplishments on earth it says that therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a title a name that is above every name and you know the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and so forth you know that scripture well Christ will rule this earth and revelation says he will rule with a rod of iron and he there are promises in the, in the churches if you overcome as i have overcome then i will grant with you to sit with me on my throne in other words christ will rule but he will not rule singularly he will have an administration and you will be a part of that administration you will rule with him now what job you have all that we can't say but we know that you're going to be part of Christ's administration as he rules this earth and uh, that is a part of the rewards so what is what what happens when we gain all of this it says that we uh, can handle responsibility when you have overcome this world that means you are able to handle responsibility I know when it talks about we're being blessed we're, that makes us responsible, right? Just like it says in Ephesians 1, we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, right? Or something like that. That is to say, we're in Christ now. And there's a whole lot that goes along with that that we now have to be responsible for. And we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ to see how, how we handled, uh, how well we handled life in the body after we were saved so yeah so that's what Romans says we will share in that glory um, Romans 8 that's where we are in fact so it says uh, oh wait a minute that's 5 sorry the scripture says um, now if we're children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So the glory that Christ gained when he was here on earth, right? What he, the victory that he won, conquering devil, the devil, defeating all the evil angels, triumphing over them, he will be rewarded for that. And the reward is that he will take the reins of this world. Now, he's already won the right to rule this world at the cross. He already did that. He just, by the time the second coming, what happens in the second coming? Well, he comes down. First thing he does is he takes Satan off the earth and throws him into the bottomless pit. Satan cannot deceive. His influence is no longer on this earth. He is no longer the ruler or the prince of the air. None of that. He takes him out. Now Christ rules the earth at that point. It's his, he's responsible for 
what goes on down here. So that would be totally different than millennia. So either way, whether we are in heaven or, or what, we have a role uh, in the person of Christ to rule all things. So Christ is not just a ruler over earth. He's the ruler over all things, all creation. So believers who are his body are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we will also have a role eternally when it comes to, and it doesn't matter, that comes by position, and that position turns into reality of uh, where we actually sit in Christ. There is no diminution of, you know, this person did not uh, achieve battlefield rewards, so therefore he can't participate in the eternal rewards. That's not how it will go. The eternal rewards uh, are related to this earth. And it's amazing that this earth will continue to be. There will continue to be Jews and Gentiles on the earth. Uh, after. And this is in the eternal state. And it, it's hard to say what will happen after the thousand years are over. And the, But we know that there's still going to be the nations. And there's still going to be the New Jerusalem and all of that. So... So just remember, we're heavenly people. Heavenly people. So I'll pause. I know I won't take up too much of the time. Other questions, other thoughts? Uh-oh. You have to take your phone off mute if you <laughs> want to ask a question. probably wondering why didn't they, why how come he's not answering me because your phone's on mute <laughs> now my silence is an indication that um i'm i'm a, i'm okay with moving on to roman days if you want if uh, I, say, I say ditto uh Doug, thank you for answering uh my question and elaborating even further Mm. So, one of the things, thank, I'm glad you asked the question, that way we had an opportunity to talk about it, but there's one verse in Romans 8, 18, which we, we haven't come to, we'll get to it, but listen to, to the evaluation of our sufferings for us in Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So notice, what God is asking of you on this earth, and I know it's a sacrifice. I know it is. Because <laughs> it's a sacrifice to me. So people don't think, oh, automatically, I will just serve you, God. I don't worry about it. I'm on your side. No, it's a day-by-day -day sacrifice of us giving up ourselves in this life. That's not an easy thing to do. But what Paul is saying in this verse is amazing to me because he's saying it's not even worth comparing. If there is no comparison. You know, if you could put your one hand up and the other one down and say, this, this is what uh, the suffering is like and this is what the... Uh, Paul said, throw that out. It's not worth even compare. There is no fair comparison with the glory that will be revealed in us. So when you think about how hard you're suffering and what you have to undergo and nobody understands what we're doing and uh, we're, I feel like I'm all alone. It's like the Elijah. Lord, I, nobody else is out here doing the, the things I do. I'm worshiping you. Where's everybody else? Right? We feel like that sometimes because... It does not seem that, uh, you know, we have the identity uh, because the world is so against us. There's so, so much opposition in the world to you fulfilling the destiny of Christ. But just notice, it's not even worth comparing. Anyway, let's get into Romans. Romans 8 is where we are. Um, so if we're, 
I know we, we have gone all the way. We talked about the obligation. Right? I know we, we talked about if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If by the spirit you put to death the de misdeeds of the body, you will live. That's in Romans 8.13. So I believe we talked about this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. This is the normal Christian life. So if we can say this is the normal Christian life, what is abnormal? Would be you allowing your old nature to rule over you. You allowing. So before it ruled over you without regard of your volition because it was in control. Your sin nature was in control. The old man. It wasn't old at the time. Only when you're saved is it the old man. But now, that is not who you are anymore. That is not normative for you. What's normal for you is you're in Christ and the Spirit is now ruling over you. Will you cooperate with God the Holy Spirit and leading you into all truth and, and walking you through the, the Christian life? And we talked about uh, how the Spirit becomes not only our capability, our capacity, but it's more than that. He becomes our competency when it comes to God. So we're talking about getting into the deep things and understanding God who is not a human being. God is not human, first of all. Christ has a body. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But God is not a human person. I know we'd like to think of him that way, but he's not human. And it's easy for us to realize that, but sometimes you've got to stop and think, yeah. What, who we're dealing with here. We're not just dealing with somebody who just was clever in creating things. He designed, just imagine, no matter how far you go down with a microscope and get into the electrons and the neutrons and the, the protons and the, the DNA and all these things that are so small they said DNA is like way smaller than a, a hair, right? You can't, you can't really easily see DNA. It has to go through a lot of changes in order for you to see it. But it's there, and you can, we can figure out a way to see it. But how minute detail, even that minute detail has divine intelligence built into it, programmed into it, right? These things just don't exist by themselves. God is over all of that as the creator, the one who is the master uh, planner and executor of these things. And then if you look at, you know, that's micro. If you look macro, where you just say, wow, look at the expanse of the space, right? We said, uh, we draw a circle and we say, in this circle, uh, this circle represents God. Then we put a little dot in the circle and we said, that's the universe that we have, that God created. How vast is God? We can't even track how vast the universe is. It's not like you throw a boomerang and then it goes way around and then it comes back to you. We can never get to the end of the universe. It's just impossible. If you start talking about, we have to judge things in light years when we're talking about space. Can't even say miles or kilometers anymore. It's just, it would never make sense. We have to say, how fast can light travel in a, a, a second? In one second. And I think it's 186,000 miles per second light can travel. And that's how we have to use, that's the measure we have to use for space. That's how vast it is. We, we don't even understand who God is. So when I think about the Holy Spirit being able to be our competency, like what, it, it, he, what he makes of us is just amazing when we think about 
who God is and that we can have fellowship with him. Now, I've read a lot of theological books in my day. I wouldn't say fully read, but in a lot of theological books. And one of the things I note, and I looked at the writers, and they extol and they magnify God. They, you know, he's so big. And that basically is what I've been doing. I just for the last five minutes, I've been magnifying who God is, talking about His omnipotent power, and not only that, His strategy and how He crafted and orchestrated things. Right, all of that comes from a mind that is we cannot even fathom how smart God is. We couldn't hold a candle to who he is. Well, there's no way. But God has done something for us that is just amazing here. That we can understand his eternal purposes. We can get into it and understand what motivated him as he did this. How he structured this. What was he thinking? Like, you know, we always want to know, what was he thinking? Well, we get to know what was he thinking before time began. And all these things are way beyond anything any scientist can discover or that you can figure out by digging up old rocks and civilizations and ruins. And There's no way you're going to figure out this stuff. God has revealed it to us by means of his spirit. So that is so valuable. It allows us, human beings, even though we are the same kind of people God is, we don't have the divine nature. So we can't possibly do the things that God uh, can do. But to, to us, you know, it's like me thinking, right? I can think. That's easy for me. I'm, I do that every day. Well, for God, that's his nature to do things that are just phenomenal, mind-blowing, because he's a God. He can create stuff if he wanted to. None of that is any big deal to God. God is not sitting around talking about how how proud he is of himself for doing something. That's easy. That's part of his nature. So in this, this is our normal life. This is what God has blessed us with in every, like he says, he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is what he gave us. He chose us in him. This is our destiny. This is what he made of us. And we are sitting back here learning it gradually. A little bit at a time we're learning it. We're just eking along at a snail's pace. Just constant, just as we're coming to the knowledge of who, not only who he is, but who we are in Christ. So for us, that is what the whole thing is about. For us being down here, that we get to what we call maturity. So we understand this love that goes beyond knowing and all that. That we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is what we're here for. So that we can experience that, not wait until we get to eternity, but now. And then, on top of all of that, he tells us, if we... Submit our volition to him. Now, if we do it, we will have eternal rewards. On top of all of that, that he gives us. Eternal rewards. It's amazing what God has done. So he is asking us to utilize the assets provided by the ministries of the Spirit. Utilize those assets. So, it's, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children. That's who we are. That's our heritage. That's, that's where we belong. That's a part of who we are. From now on, you're no longer who you thought you were. The capabilities and competencies that you have are divine. That's who you are. And the Spirit is responsible to communicate this to our minds. And not only that, to empower us to think with God in, the, in this way. 
It's the normal Christian life. So I shouldn't even use the word normal anymore. Because our lives are in no way normal. If our, our lives are out of this world. In fact, we are not a part of this world. Think about it. If we don't belong down here, if we are not of this world, what are we then? We're not of this world. What are we? Have you thought about that? We're not angels. But we're not of this world. And to figure out that, we need help. We, we better depend on God, the Holy Spirit, to tell us who we are. Because we can't figure it out. There's no way the world can tell us. We have to be students of the epistles so we can learn uh, just like Christ says those are the script those are those scriptures they testify about me he told the, the Jews that in John 5 he says you search the scriptures for you in them you think you have eternal life I'm the one who has life and I am the light that gives light to every man who comes into the world me I'm the source of life and you think you are searching the scriptures and you think you're going to have eternal life by your diligence and partial obedience to, to the scriptures. So anyway, I'm hoping Romans 8.14 does not lose you because it's a short verse. I want you to realize that is the life that belongs to us. It's the same thing we said here. Uh, if you go back a couple verses... Where he says, um, uh, here it is, verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and he does, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Can you imagine? If you don't belong to Christ in this age, you lost. That's what's happening. If you are Jew or Gentile in this age, you're lost. Every single person who is in Christ has all the assets that belong to Christ. And we could call them assets. You know what I, God calls them? Unsearchable riches. That's what he calls them. Treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's what God calls the I call them the assets, just to be simple. But maybe I should take it to that next level, to where the Bible takes it. The unsearchable wealth that's in Christ. Bottomless. You can't even get to the bottom of the wealth that's there. Well, that's God describing what we have in divine terms, not human terms. Divine, that's what he thinks of our what that he has given us. So, let's move on. Let's, we got time to look at our next verse. Please don't forget Romans 8.14. I thought a lot about it. And uh, I would hope you at least see that it is powerful. Not because I say so, because it is in and of itself. Okay, so then, let's go on to 15. The spirit you received. Now, when do we receive our spirit? This spirit. The Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit the moment we believed in Christ. Right? Now, Pentecost happened. And there was some transition period for those who were on the earth and who had been believers. Well, we can look at the disciples, first of all. They were believers. And they didn't have the Spirit. But when Pentecost came, this is when they received the Spirit. Right? But we receive the Spirit... The transition period is over, right? Everybody who is believing on the in on the earth is now in the body of Christ. There was a period when that happened, and the Spirit is now in every believer. All these assets, so we can forget about the Book of Acts from that standpoint. You know, people are still reading Acts and saying, "Well, did you receive the Spirit or not when you believe?" That's for the transition period. That's not for now. 
That's, the Pentecost happened a long time ago. That was one time. The Holy Spirit only came once. He don't. It doesn't keep coming every time somebody believes and then tarries. That's not something that happens. And it's almost a shame. All, the, the wealth that God has given us with, with the Holy Spirit, the, the ministries. And people have reduced it down to emotional behavior, statics, and speaking in tongues, and you know, acting as though they have some sixth sense or something. And what God has actually done for us, what the Spirit makes of us, is phenomenal to think about. And what, when you think about what Satan does to that, what, he, what does he think of it? He tries to minimize, deceive, obfuscate, right? turn everybody aside from the real truth, right? what God is really doing and trying to get them uh, occupied in minutiae. So there you have it. The spirit you receive. That, well, just to note, we receive the Spirit as salvation. Right? And this is God, the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about uh, the church age, what happened at Pentecost. Right? Um, we won't answer that. So, it does not make you slaves. Now, let's... Now, this goes along with... Um, what we have in one, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So no matter what happens in your walk, and there's going to be ups and downs. Right? We're not afraid of God. We realize who we are in Christ. But the Holy Spirit that, that God gives us, it does not make us slaves. And, and what does he mean by slaves? He's talking about fear, where we live in fear. That's the part of slavery that he's referring to. We willingly commit ourselves as slaves when it comes to uh, Christ. Like Paul says, I'm, even though he was in prison, he said, I'm a prisoner of Christ. He was literally in chains at the time. Of near, he was a prisoner of Rome. But Paul turned that whole thing around and said, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Christ. He has me right where he wants me. Imagine that. Think about your bad day or your worst time in life and think, Christ has me right where he wants me. He brought me on the scene right here in this time. So Paul, he turned the whole thing around. He says, well, I'm a prisoner for Christ. That's what I am. He says, well, I'm not, I'm, he says, I must, even though, I'm free from the sin nature. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a servant of righteousness. I'm going to be a slave to righteousness. So he turns that around. So we're really not slaves. We're, we, we are what we might call a bond slave. That means a slave who has willingly given himself over to the master. Right? Who's the master? Christ, Lord, right? kurios. That's what Lord is. So we can submit to Christ. And people talk about, well, if Christ is not Lord over your life, then you're not saved. That means you, either you submit to him and have those works where you're obedient, and then to them that says, well, you're saved. Well, you can't. Christ, he's Lord no matter, no matter if we submit to him or not. He's still Lord. And if we decide to submit to, submit to him, there's rewards. If we don't, we will not have those rewards, it says, when we reach the judgment seat of Christ. But submitting or not submitting has nothing to do with salvation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. So we need to know that our walk can't take us out of uh, salvation. There's Forget the thought. So then, just go ahead and live in an uninhibited, unhinged abandonedness to Christ. Go ahead, give him everything you, you want to give him. Right? Don't hold back. Because there's nothing that he, he's not holding back. You, you, you are complete when it comes to, to who he is. 
So it does not make you slaves again, right? I just want to turn to, because we're talking about the quality of the Spirit. I just want to turn to 1 Corinthians, because it's very similar scripture there. 1 Corinthians 2. All right, let's look at some scriptures. So, verse 12. For what we received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Notice, isn't this interesting? <laughs> I keep going back to this whole thought. The world, the Christian world, what they think about the Spirit and what the Spirit will do if He gets in you. He makes you all emotional and goosebumps and all this stuff. And, and you start acting like you got some sort of intuition, you know, or you can tell prophecies and all this stuff. Here's, here's what it says the Spirit allows us to do. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. That's what, and what, what is the title of the Spirit? The Spirit of Truth. He's going to lead and guide us into all truth. And what, and what would that mean? It would mean that we would understand what God has freely given us. So Paul says, I'm on board with that. And I agree with that. So verse 13, this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom. So he's relating human wisdom in verse 13 with the spirit of the world in verse 12. I hope you see that. We have not received... The spirit of the world. Right? What we have is, well, this is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom. Human wisdom is the spirit of the world. Now, let's just be sure that we understand when we talk about human wisdom, don't think we just are on top of that. We got it all covered and we're just so smart. We're, we're way smarter than human wisdom. Human wisdom is smart. I mean, they don't think people in the human race don't have wisdom about the things of this world. They do. They know how to navigate this world. They know what the best things to do in this world. I mean, the on and on, you can talk about wisdom. In other words, they, they've taken the knowledge of this world and they have codified it down so that they know exactly how to handle themselves in this world. But this wisdom that the Holy Spirit has given us is not of this world. Well, we know that from verse 9. Know what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. It's not of this world. So it, it is, don't demean the wisdom of the world. And I know Paul does demean it from this, when he compares it to the wisdom of that comes from God, then it can't hold the candle. Because the wisdom of this world is encrusted with a lot of false, right, things that they're trying to learn, uh, decept deceptions from Satan, blindness, darkness. It, it, it is filled with a lot of. God's wisdom is clear. His knowledge is pure. Is what it, it is, is reality. So compared to God's wisdom, but don't think people in the world are not smart. That's, that's not what we're saying. When God says the wisdom of this world is foolishness when it comes to God, compared to God. It's like Paul said all his life in Israel and all that, he said, was rubbish when compared to him being found in Christ. So that's the comparison. It's not... It's not a good comparison to make. So I just wanted you to see that one part here where in, uh, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. And why would the Holy Spirit be able to do this? Because, verse 10, these, these are the things God revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things even the deep things of God. Even the deep... God, the Spirit is, is the, has the internal 
understanding of who God is exactly. And he's in us. Now, it's the only thing that's stopping us from understanding who God is exactly is our volition, our will, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us into all truth. That's the only thing that's stopping us. We can go as fast as he wants us to go. He wants us to go fast. It's just up to us. Spirit, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. We don't speak in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Spiritual realities are things that can't even be seen in the natural realm, in the wisdom of this world. And, and they're for sure, because this is what, all of this relates to, you know what I used to, I'm going to tell you, what I used to think about when I read, read these verses was, see, we can know, this is what I used to say, we can know exactly what is in God's stream of consciousness. Like, like if I say to you right now, you're sitting there listening to me, but I can say, what are you thinking right now? And then if I could get into what you are thinking right now, I'm into your stream of consciousness, right? What's your thing? Well, and I got that from that verse where it says, uh, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them in the same way no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. That's where I was thinking, right? But really, it is not to say that we have access to God's stream of consciousness. That's that's, That's not what he's saying at all. What he's trying to tell us is, we have access to the Father's eternal purpose. Right? That's what this age is all about. That's what the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us to understand. When we reach the fullness and stature of Christ, that is it. It doesn't mean that we now have consciousness into God's consciousness, his stream of consciousness. What it means is we have access into God's eternal purpose. That's what it goes. why it goes back and the earlier verse and says, no, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. He's talking about the plan. And that is what is being made known to us. There's, that is the part of the mystery that uh, was hidden from the Old Testament. Nobody knew what God's intentions were when he created all things. Nobody knew that. They can make up their own. Oh, it's for the glory of God. It was for God's pleasure that he created all things. I've read theological books on this subject. And these are some of the answers. It was for his glory that he did that. Well, we have specific information. And we can say, what was he thinking when he did this, when he created us? Now, there's going to be much more that we can learn from God or we can... Once we have fellowship with him and once we're in the eternal state in our role, we can be at home with God. But in this particular point here, that is the thought. He's trying to tell us that we have access to something that nobody else, exclusive information is ours. That's what we should be talking about, Paul says. Explaining spiritual realities with spiritual words. Let's go back to Romans 8. Scoop back over there. I know we're not getting far in this verse, but let's look. So Romans 8, here we go. 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. So it says that living in the sin nature, right? We're slaves. The sin nature is really in control, right? Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. So, not only... So we're we're talking about all the things that the Spirit makes of us. This is the biggest deal of of what the Spirit has done for us. We are now adopted as sons. And how do we get there? The Spirit that God gave us, the baptism of the Spirit. 
with all of the ministries together, generalized by saying the baptism of the Spirit, as the five things that happen to us, makes us sons of God. Now, if I were to say, well, what is the one ministry that does the most of it? It would be the baptism. Because then it takes us and identifies us with the person of Christ. Who is the person of Christ? He's the son. That's the role that he has with the father in terms of the father's plan. Father invested everything in the son, and then the son makes all these things known to us. We are growing, and, and even at the end of 1 Corinthians 2, it says we have the mind of Christ. So, so this is who we are. This is our heritage uh, being identified with the person of Christ. As he is, so are we. His destiny becomes our destiny. What is true of him is now true of us. His life has been merged with our lives so that we can say we are one. He is in us, we are in him. This, this is the sonship. Now, how do we get to it? Now, Christ is the original son. He says, I'm the one, if you read in Romans, not Romans, John 1, right, where he, he talks about in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who himself is God, who is himself God, and is at the closest and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So there's really only one Son. There's not many sons. There's just one Son. But really, when we but the baptism of the Spirit makes us one with Him. So we are identified. His identity is our identity. His dignity and honor is our dignity and honor. Whoever he, whatever he is, whatever his destiny is, our destiny. The only one thing that we won't have, if, or, or that potentially we might not be able to share with him, is battlefield glory. And that is because we may not have chosen to suffer with him. But we're sons. Right? That, take, that doesn't take away from our sonship at all. We're, we're sons positionally, and by virtue of that, we're sons forever. That is what we are. You're never going to go back to Adam. It'll never fit anymore, whatever life you had with Adam. It'll never be the same. The moment you believed in Christ and you were baptized by the Spirit, you were identified with the person of Christ forever. You are given the Holy Spirit forever. Back to Romans 8. So, so the fact that Christ is a son, we're sons. We're being conformed into his image and his likeness. Adoption has to do with Roman style adoption. You all know what that means. It means God had to choose us. And the whole analogy so it goes, right? We, we have read these things, especially in the Ephesians, right? So here, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, right? Without the baptism of the Spirit, baptism of the Spirit is core. It is central to who we are. If you take away that, then you take away us being in Christ. The whole in Christ thing goes away. If you take away what God has done in the baptism of the Spirit, what He, do, what he has done in the church age. So it, this adoption to sonship. So how do we get to be sons? God adopted us into Christ. Adoption is... And we're talking Roman-style adoption here, which means that just like emperors and would, after they knew they were going to have to pass off the scene, they would pick an heir. It's, sometimes it would be a son. He, would have, he, he might have many sons, but he might have to pick one of his sons. Or he may decide, I don't have to pick one of my sons. I saw, I could see... Somebody else who I think should be ruler. And I'm going to pick him. 
So it doesn't have to be your natural born son. It could be anybody he chooses. That's what Roman style adoption was. And then there would be a ceremony at some point in time. The person who was going to be adopted or the adoptee would stand before or actually kneel before him and he would the emperor would confer all the power and privileges that he has to that son and the son then would rule in the father's stead or the emperor's stead he would give him a ring and that ring would be like uh, you know his signature you know anything he wanted to it was official because he had that signet ring. They used to use that for when they to send messages or whatever. They would use the wax and the ring imprint to make that message, make sure it wasn't tampered with. So the adoption ceremony, Paul understood that. He, he knew, but it, it wasn't like some something inscrutable that people couldn't understand. He understood that was the way they did it. Back in the, in Rome in the Roman Empire, Paul understood that, and he took that analogy and brought it to what God is doing in this age for for us, how He is bringing many sons into glory. Remember, being blessed and chosen and all that stuff doesn't mean, hey, wow, I can just go happy-go-lucky, jump up, kick my heels together, and, and just run around happy that I've been chosen, and wow, this is a wonderful thing, I'm special. What it, being chosen means responsibility. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And it means responsibility, for we've been adopted as son. That's a role. That means all things, like... If you go to 1 Corinthians 3, and here at the end, he says, um, well, here, we'll go back to the wisdom of the world's foolishness. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight compared to God, right? As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. Look at this all things are yours that doesn't mean that you just sit around on a pile of gold and you're at the top of the pile and you're just throwing gold in the air and money and all this stuff all things are yours has to do with your calling the fact that you are one with the creator whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. I think he about got everything covered. All are yours. You are of Christ and Christ is of God. So this all things goes, if you go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse starting at verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. I hear pages turning, so I'll slow down. <laughs> the Son is the image of the invisible God. So God, the Father, can't be seen. You can't see God, the Father. Right? That's not something with the naked eye, physically, that you're going to be able to see. But what can we see? We can see the Son. Because the Son is the exact representation or image of who the Father is, right? God. Then he says he's firstborn over all creation. He's, he's the one who has preeminence over all creation. He's the creator, by the way. I'm going to tell you that in the next verse. For in him, and here it is, all things were created. Things, what are all things? Things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. All things, Christ is not a part of all things. He's before all things. And in him, all things 
hold together. So that Christ has work to do in keeping all things together. There's power exerted from him to hold all things together. And what else is he? He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, and so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of it. It goes on. But my point here is about the all things. It is a role. So when it says you have been adopted, don't think you're just sitting around on a cloud and just got all whatever you want. It's just, no, it's responsibility. There's a role, there's an eternal role that you have. And it's, and it's all played out in Paul's mind by telling you this metaphor of how Romans uh, have succession plans for power and, and might in this world. Imagine, we're not replace the emperor with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now you're in him. And now you have the role. And through him, through Christ, all things were created. He's the rightful creator of all things. Remember, now you are identified with him. You are also now the image of the invisible God. You, all things are yours as well. Just why are all things yours? Because of the spirit that we now have. It goes back to what happened at Pentecost. So I know it's 9.15. Uh, go back to Romans. Let's round it out. I know we didn't finish this, but we'll, we'll finish it. We'll, we'll take more time thinking about it. So back in Romans 8. So the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. I don't know, we're going to have to leave this father part till next week. It, it gives you this spirit of adoption, right? It, it, that's what you receive. The spirit you receive brought about now this whole adoption scenario. We, now, there, there is one thing about the adoption to sonship. We are, we have it positionally, experientially, if you read verse Oh, 23, where it says, not only so, still in Romans, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. What is that? When is that? The redemption of our bodies. So this role won't kick in until we get our resurrection body. Until we enter the eternal state. Positionally we're, we're there because Christ is there. But, but remember the objective is to bring all things. Heaven and on earth under one head. That is Christ. And because of the mystery we are a part of that. So there's much more that could be said. And we will talk about it much more as we're getting into these verses. We'll take our time. So I'll pause to see if there are any questions, any thoughts, before we close in prayer. Yes, I have a thought. Go right ahead, Dave. The scripture says we eagerly await, so we, right now, we're growing to to want to be close with our heavenly brother. So. You're talking about verse 23. Not only so, we ourselves have the first word of spirit grown inwardly as we yes. as we uh, wait uh, eagerly for our adoption. Wait right. Eager. right. Right. So our groaning inwardly is because we know who we are. Right? We, we know that God has given us sonship in Christ. And, this, and what are we doing? We, but we're still in these bodies that are wasting away, that are deteriorating. So what, what is our next expectation and hope? Is that we get our resurrection bodies and that we are able to assume experientially our sonship role. So is that a part of 
Well, part of the suffering is knowing who you are and the fact that we live in a world that is in opposition to us. Okay. And, and people who are in opposition. Satan, angels, they're all in opposition. People that he is in, engaged, you know, against us are in opposition against us in this world because they hate Christ. He's the next ruler. He will defeat Satan he has already defeated him, but he will take him out at the second coming. I'm not sure I'm answering your question or not. But. Yes, he did. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for that question. Much more could be said about that, too. Other thoughts? All right. If there are no other thoughts... We're going to have to close. It's already getting late. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time, this hour we had where we were able to discuss the benefits and the, the assets that are we have gained by means of the Spirit. We thank you because it was grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It was just your sovereign choice and grace that has brought us to the place we are today. We thank you. We we praise you for your glorious grace and your plan we thank you for your salvation that is um, just the wisdom that is built into how you crafted this so great salvation it is a marvel in and of itself we thank you for jesus who came and he sacrificed himself for us completely unashamedly and you know, he, he despised the shame and he went to the cross and he performed admirably on our behalf. So we thank you that we are in this place and we pray that we will have the courage to live this life where we make decisions so that your spirit can lead and guide us into all truth. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.